0: Hi, I'm Travis Foray, and this is the Returns Management Podcast by Return Logic, the show where we connect e commerce store owners together through casual discussion and examine current myths and trends to keep you up to date on everything happening in the e commerce world. So, David, lately, I've been hearing more and more about serial returners. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, Travis, 2020 changed how people shop. With more and more people turning to online shopping, finding the right size, the right fit, the right color, all that became a lot more challenging. And retailers had to find creative ways to adapt. So they started offering things like free return shipping to everybody. And this led to a phenomenon called bracketing and even other uh, practices that may be convenient for shoppers but can negatively impact a retailer's bottom line.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Come to think of it, I've seen a lot of companies cracking down on their return policies lately. But before we do anything else, let's define what a serial returner is. So David, who would you consider to be a serial returner? Percy Harvin. Wow, you Vikings fans are something else. No, David, not a football returner. I'm talking about
1: e-commerce returns. Yeah, forgot fantasy football is over and now I have to get back to the real world. Anyways, a serial returner at its most simple form could just be a customer who returns what a company deems to be an excessive amount.
0: So a serial returner would do something like order a bunch of different sizes, colors, or models of a product to just choose one or two and
1: then send the rest back? Exactly. That's a great example. However, there are multiple types of serial returners beyond just that example and beyond Percy Harvin.
0: Awesome. Let's go ahead and touch on some of those.
1: All right. So what are the types of serial returners? The first type of serial returning is called wardrobing or people who wear an item one time and return it.
0: Okay. So would an example of that be like when someone buys a product for an event, say a wedding, wears it to the event and then returns it
1: afterwards? Exactly. The issue here is that the shopper never intended on keeping the product just to wear it once so they could post it on social media or wear it to that special event, whatever.
0: Wow, yeah, that has to be frustrating for retailers, especially with the high shipping prices and thin margins, as we just talked about. Exactly. But what's another type of serial returning? Yeah, so I have a bit of a new one. I want to introduce a new type of serial returner that no one has really talked about yet, but has popped up over the past few years. Okay, you visionary. Go ahead. Okay, so I'm not going to name any names here, but there are some shoppers who have realized they can take advantage of return policies over and over again to get discounts on their purchases. For example, some retailers offer discounts or store credit to promote exchanges. Well if I'm a shopper, I'm going to do that over and over again because it's saving me money. And I don't care about transportation fees, logistics costs, restocking fees, etc. All of those costs affect the retailer just so a shopper can get a 10% credit. So let's call this type of shopper a swindler
1: returner. Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of that. And Travis, you've been watching way too much Netflix, but I'll take it. But can't retailers catch on to that behavior and blacklist a customer who does that?
0: Yeah, I mean... Sure they could, but what if it's a shopper who buys a ton of products from you? Then you just blocked a shopper with a high customer lifetime value from shopping with your brand, and then they churn, and you lose all of that money. That's fair. Okay, what else? So another type of serial returning behavior could be counterfeit product switches. What on earth is that? You know, it's funny you ask that, David. In this case the shopper may buy a counterfeit item for the fraction of the authentic item's value, then purchase the real thing from an authorized seller and return the fake item to that seller for a full refund. So for example, I could buy a Gucci belt and then buy a counterfeit Gucci belt, send back the counterfeit to Gucci, and not only do I get to keep the real belt, but I also
1: get a refund for the fake belt that I sent back. Interesting. So if I went to Mexico and got a $20 pair of Ray-Bans, I could essentially return those for a new pair. Interesting. Shoppers find all sorts of ways to surprise you. I actually haven't heard of that one before, but it sounds like it would be a huge loss since that counterfeit product obviously isn't able to be resold. Yep, exactly. Interesting. Another type of CO returning that we could mention is cross-retailer returns. So in this scenario, the customer takes an item that has either been stolen or purchased elsewhere for a lower price and initiates an in-store return with no receipt and gets a refund to a gift card or cash.
0: Yeah, so kind of like that Harvard case study where someone returned a used tire to Nordstrom and then they still accepted it because they wanted to have exceptional customer service. But in reality, that's a pretty bad business practice. Yes, correct. Wow. Yeah. So you can really see why some retailers take this so seriously. So, David, are there any other types of serial returning behavior?
1: Great question. Uh, The last type is tag switching. Items that have plastic tags are most at risk for being fraudulently returned. Why? Because anybody can go grab a tag gun on Amazon for five bucks. They can tag their item. Bring it back into the store get a new one and it doesn't even matter what condition it's in because the tag is still on it
0: wow and that's a pretty cheap method but my question is where on earth did all of these serial
1: returners come from great question um i would say the pandemic is the obvious answer there you know not only could shoppers physically not enter brick and mortar stores due to government lockdowns they also just didn't want to anxiety and nervousness of feeling like you were going to get sick is is way too much to justify going to a, a store to drop something off.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I totally forgot that at one point we were actually told not to leave our houses unless necessary. So now you have a lot of bored adults who are usually at work or out shopping or finding other ways of entertainment who are now just stuck in their homes with nothing to do. Exactly. We
1: all needed those little dopamine hits from buying something new.
0: Yeah, that we did. And I imagine on top of that, you have companies like Amazon who have made free returns the standard option for shoppers.
1: Right. So now not only do you have a ton of people locked in their homes bored with nothing to do, but you also allow them to return items at no extra charge.
0: Okay, I see where you're going with this now. So some shoppers realized they could order all of their items and use their house basically as their own personal fitting room and then just send back anything
1: they didn't like or that they didn't want to purchase exactly just like when you go into a store and grab five or six items you try them on and you only end up buying one of them
0: exactly that's so true but in this case the retailers paying for the shipping
1: both to the customer and then back to their warehouse And a huge percentage of those products that make it back aren't even in good enough condition to be resold. I think it's only like 10% of products get resold. So shipping is a huge source of the cost, but so is all that liquidated product.
0: Right. And we also haven't even mentioned the cost of transportation and labor as well. So overall, we
1: can see that returns can get really pricey really fast. Exactly. And, and I can't stress enough how returns can have a huge, huge impact on a retailer's bottom line.
0: I couldn't agree more. So it seems like at this point, serial returners are a no-go. But are there any reasons why serial returners wouldn't be bad for businesses? I guess what I'm asking is, what are the
1: pros? That's a great question. So it seems like there wouldn't be any, right? However, If 20% of your customers make up 80% of your sales, they're bound to return items. Surprisingly, the shoppers who return the most items might be the ones who also purchased the most items.
0: Okay, so what you're saying is it's more likely for a loyal shopper to
1: return multiple items versus, say, a first-time shopper? Of course, that's not always the case, but essentially, yes. Sometimes it takes a bit to learn what size works when a shopper first gets introduced to a brand, but things like color or fit can always change with any new product release.
0: That is very true. So if a retailer is to take a serious stance on serial returners, they need to make sure that those shoppers are showing signs of one
1: of the serial returning types we mentioned before. Correct. If retailers start banning shoppers left and right who return items, there are going to be some serious consequences on their profits. Okay. So if that's the case, David, how can retailers manage serial returners? Great question. One of the ways retailers are cracking down is by scrutinizing their entire return policy to see if it's actually profitable or if they're operating at a loss and might not even know it. That's right, David. And some of the largest brands on the planet realize
0: that and have made some significant changes. And I imagine a lot more
1: retailers will follow suit. Exactly. I was reading that 60% of larger companies are changing their return policies in 2023. Companies like REI, Zara, Paxson, Anthropologie, etc. But the question is, why are they all changing their policies now? But let's go through some specific examples first. Poles is no longer paying for return shipping costs. Bath & Body Works has now limited its previously wide open return policy to 90 days and to $250 per customer over that period. LL Bean, Dillard's, J.Crew, REI, Zara, they're all now deducting a fee for returns made by mail. And lastly, H&M recently announced it's testing a return fee for online orders in some markets.
0: Those are some serious changes. And it's interesting that it's coming from big companies such as these who may have an easier time with returns affecting their bottom line versus just smaller companies who need to recoup the cost of returns in some way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So besides cracking down on the entire customer base and return policy, what are some other ways that retailers can manage
1: serial returners? Great question. Uh, there are a few things that come to mind. Obviously, with some of the advancements in technology lately, there's things like augmented reality, so shoppers can have a virtual bidding room, so to speak, and, and that's become a lot more powerful and useful.
0: Yeah, and let's not forget about using returns data to improve product description pages, turn down ad spend on underperforming products, and using returns data to just overall improve products. Of
1: course, I mean, that helps mitigate the need for shoppers to make a return to begin with. Exactly. But one of the final tactics I'll mention is segmenting shoppers. Hmm, how do you mean? Well, you could basically give different shoppers different post-purchase workflows. I'm still not sure I know what you mean. Well, for instance, I could offer free return shipping my highest scoring customer lifetime value shoppers. Or it's another example, I could force a shopper to pay for return shipping costs if they've returned X amount of dollars in the past six months or something. That's really the best solution for retailers. Segment shoppers based on customer lifetime value. So that way they aren't upsetting their most profitable customers yet.
0: Wow. Is that possible
1: yet? We're very, very close, yeah.
0: Okay. So if there's one takeaway from all this, are serial returners good or bad for profits? At a
1: high level, serial returners in general are, are costly, which can be negative, but that's not always the case. Not all serial returners are bad or negative for your business. Some might actually be the most profitable customers that a retailer has.
0: Right, so it really boils down to what a retailer deems as excessive. You're right, more often than not, Shoppers who buy the most are more
1: likely to make a return over their lifetime with a retailer. Retailers should be cautious on how they manage serial returners. And instead of focusing on the shopper so much, they should review their policies and products first and make changes there to mitigate the number of serial returners in general. So retailers need to be careful when determining who is a serial returner and what they're gonna do about it, if anything.
0: Completely agree. So the question boils down to, is it worth losing the customer as a whole if they return too much? Going back to the example from earlier, if I have a customer who always returns their item to get 10% off, I need to determine if shipping, transportation, labor costs, etc. are worth banning that customer. If I calculate those costs and the cost of selling the item at a 10% discount and still make a profit it may just be worth letting that customer
1: continue their pattern. Exactly, the larger theme here is that retailers need to be focused on their shoppers, products, and policies and whether or not they are truly profitable. If a retailer can't answer, if their policies are profitable, they're just guessing. And guessing is ultimately what kills scalability. Totally agree. Retailers
0: should look at serial returners like bad drivers. They'll always be out on the road. You just need to keep an eye out for them. Well said. Well, that's all we have for today, folks. Thanks for joining, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Catch another episode, learn more at ReturnLogic.com, and find us on YouTube. And I'll see you back here on the returns management podcast.